You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, solo for the first hour. We're going to get you ready for Monday night football. My Chicago Bears versus the Steelers. See how confident I feel about my team on the national stage against the honestly quite washed Big Ben and a Steelers team that don't impress me much. But again, it is the Bears that we're talking about here. So we'll get into that. Fitz is going to join me for the second hour for a little good take, hot take, some quickies. But we got to talk some upsets. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And you can always join us by becoming a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation's presented by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. At Sarah Spain. At Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz is where you can chime in. And I'm going to be asking you, because I'm trying to figure out myself, what do we actually know about the NFL's best and worst teams? Because we had a recent week where everything felt a little jumbled. And I started to question whether we were not quite far enough into the season to know for sure what we were going to get out of some of the teams that we felt pretty confident that we had a good read on. But this weekend really blew it out of the water. That was it. Like, this one, even more so than a week or two ago, has me wondering, what do we really know? What we thought we knew was that the Bills were the Super Bowl favorite and Josh Allen was your MVP frontrunner. And what we got was a loss to a Jags team that hasn't won on American soil in like two years and won in London a couple weeks ago for their only win in forever. A bad Jags team in a Bad game for Josh Allen. Well, one of the Josh Allens. If I had told you that Josh Allen was going to be the MVP of this game, you probably would have believed me. But then if I had told you that the Josh Allen that would have been the MVP of the game had a sack, a fumble recovery, an interception, that's where you might have gotten a little bit confused. But apparently, the Josh Allen on the Jags keeps hearing about the real Josh Allen, and he took it personally because this is what it sounded like when the Josh Allen of the Jags took on the Josh Allen of the Bills. Snap to Josh. Fakes the handoff, steps up in the pocket. He is hit. He is dropped. Josh Allen sacked by Josh Allen. First time that's ever happened with a man with the same name as sacked a quarterback with the same name. Pressure coming again. Josh in trouble. Gets rid of it. Fires it down the middle. Picked off. Intercepted by uh, Josh Allen. Fumble. Josh dropped it. Let's see who's got it. He dropped the ball. Looks like the Jaguars are celebrating. No signal yet. They do. It is Jacksonville football. Josh Allen... Nailed Josh Allen. Josh Allen, the linebacker for Jacksonville, stripped them and came up with the football. Yeah, we even got a Billy Joel reference in there, living here in Allentown. Uh, it was ugly. And a lot of you will say, and that you could hear that, by the way, on the Bills radio network there. That was the credit. Uh, a lot of people would say, okay, but that's one game, one stinker. Uh, I feel confident in the Bills anyway. Well, Tony Kornheiser was on PTI today, and he seems to be thinking, this isn't just one game. I'm coming away with this thinking the Bills are not my favorite anymore. That's a terrible loss. They scored no touchdowns against Jacksonville. Jacksonville have been giving up 29 points a game, and they got six. And then you look back on their record a little bit, and you say, who have they beaten? Miami twice, Washington, Houston, Kansas City. Combined records, 12 and 32. Josh Allen looked terrible. He's right to blame himself. Right now at the moment, considering who beat them, Jacksonville's no good, and they beat them. Pittsburgh, I don't think, is very good and they beat them. So if you ask me for trust right now today, no. Yeah. 
it's 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 pretty it's pretty serious that you're going to need to see a more diversified offense from the Bills. You're going to need to see a game where Josh Allen isn't at his best and they still win. And we haven't seen it. So the Bills, I've got questions now that I didn't have before. Field Yates was on primetime on ESPN Radio and said the Cowboys maybe were your front runner. Maybe Dak putting up numbers. They were able to win even when Dak was out. So this should have been an easy one against the Broncos, right? Uh, not so much. Here's Field. They scored 16 points today, and none of them actually matter. Those all took place late or midway through the fourth quarter. Beyond that, this is a Broncos team that in recent weeks has been sloppy as heck. They barely grinded out a win last week against Washington. And while I thought the move was a really smart one from a business decision standpoint, they traded away Von Miller this week, right? Like their most accomplished long-term player, they traded away. And they went to Dallas, and they thumped them. This, to me, was an absolute stunner. It does not change how I feel about Dallas long-term. They're still a really, really good team. But I thought there was a chance the Cowboys could cement their status as the best team in the NFL with a couple of more really complete performances. Instead, the opposite turned true today. Now, this could be a trap game. Six-game winning streak. Again, high off the fact that they managed to win a game with Dak out that everyone thought was maybe, okay, you can give this one away if you need to. Ten-point favorite against Denver. Like we said, Denver just sold off Von Miller, sort of a acquiescence to this being a lost season. So maybe it's a trap game. But we do need to figure out if this Dallas Cowboys offense, or defense, I should say, is as good as we thought at the beginning of the year. This was the question all offseason is, we know the offense can be great, but what about that defense? Trevon Diggs was doing things we didn't expect. They were showing up in phases across that defense that were surprising. It was a revelation. Is that going to stay that way for the rest of the season, or was this a sign that there are issues on the defensive side that could make this not a true Super Bowl caliber team? That's something we have to figure out. I don't know. Don't ask me. I'm watching week in and week out, and some of these teams are just not providing consistency to the point where I can say with certainty who's going to show up on the weekend. It's Spain and Fitz, by the way. Solo Spain for the first hour. Talking about I, we, what do we know in the NFL after this weekend? Again, could be that halfway point, some trap games, some tired teams, COVID, players out with injury. We could get some bounce backs next week, but we do have some questions. And some of the things we think we might know, like, hey, look, the Chiefs are on a roll. Uh, Are they really? Are they really any better? Did they just go up against a Packers team that was reeling from yet another massive Aaron Rodgers-related distraction? You remember that's what happened week one for this Packers team. Reeling as they're trying to get past all of the offseason and everything else with Aaron Rodgers. Does he really want to be here? Yada, yada. Well, now the COVID thing hits. Jordan Love's in his first game. The Chiefs win, but as Ryan Clark said on Get Up, that wasn't a good Chiefs win, and Patrick Mahomes did not look right. Patrick Mahomes is broken, and he's broken because he's the same as he's always been, but that's no longer good enough. It's time for Patrick Mahomes to pivot. It's time for Patrick Mahomes to play football in a different way. But sometimes when you've been so successful doing one thing, it's hard to do another. And they're asking the entire Kansas City Chiefs offense to do this. They're saying become a running football team. Be committed to that. They're saying take the checkdowns. Be committed to that. They're saying, you know what? You will not have the big play against us, so we're going to make you earn every blade of grass, and we believe you'll make a mistake. And that's what's been happening. Yeah, I mean, the lowest yards per attempt for Mahomes, they couldn't run the ball. They can't rely on deep shots because teams have figured out we're going to put two safeties deep, we're going to make you dink and dunk, and Patrick Mahomes is too impatient to do that. 
their identity, which was the team that was going to kill you with those deep shots, with those big plays, is gone, and they haven't figured out how to do it differently yet. Will they be able to? I don't know. I'm still waiting. We keep thinking that. I saw someone tweet out when the when the Chiefs eke their way into the postseason, we're going to say they're the most dangerous low seed of all time because it's still Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. But I think we're all waiting for some sort of manifestation of that. Finally, I would tell you that when the season started, the thing we could all say is that Kyle Shanahan is the cream of the crop of NFL coaches. We love this guy. The experts, the casual fans, everybody from Mina Kimes to your cousin Eddie is obsessed with Kyle Shanahan. Well, Damian Woody now says he's on the hot seat. Kyle Shanahan is in trouble. Ooh. Kyle Shanahan is in trouble. I thought hot t- that was Monday. Look, You're usually on first take Monday. Yeah, hot take listen, early for I, me I'm today. just saying, like, you play against an Arizona Cardinals team without their starting quarterback, without their starting wide receiver, and you get blown out in your own house. Mm-hmm. That is not a good look. And you just expand it to a macro look at what Kyle, the body of work that Kyle Shanahan has, has done in his time with San Francisco, there's going to be some heat on him. Yeah, 32 and 40 as the head coach of the 49ers. Bet that's a surprising stat to you. It was to me. It's Spade and Fitz coming up. What should we take away? Maybe an expert can tell me what we actually know because I sure as hell don't know. I'm going to do that next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Sarah Spain, solo for the first hour. Fitz going to join me after his digital Monday Night Football show. Of course, my Bears in Monday Night Football tonight against the Steelers. We'll get into that in just a little bit right here on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. But you just heard me bemoaning whatever the hell happened in the NFL yesterday. And I, I don't know what I'm watching anymore, and I don't know what to believe in. So we're going to bring in an expert to help me. It's time for some Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Kevin Clark, the Ringer senior writer, host of the Ringer NFL show, with me here on the Goodyear Hotline. Kevin, thanks for the time. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Let's start with with all the upsets and the good teams that fell, particularly the ones that fell to bad teams, which is the realest loss of the weekend? And by that, I mean not just a trap game, not just a fluke, not just a whoopsie, but the one that actually had you thinking there's more to this. This team is telling me something with this loss. Wow. I mean, there, there's a lot of them. I mean, there were a lot of head scratches yesterday. I think the, the team I'm most concerned with right now is the Bills. Because for me, and this is a team that I was ready to crown going into this as the best team in the AFC. Okay. Right. And now I'm not in full-blown panic mode, but what I am saying is, is that if you lose nine to six, and I know they were, losing, <laughs> they, were, they were out two linemen. If you lose nine to six to the Jacksonville Jaguars, where Urban Meyer doesn't even want to be there anymore, half the team has no idea what's going on. I mean, I, 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 that, that to me, there starts to be some, some, uh, some alarm bells a little bit. Um, I think that the fact that Josh Allen, you know, it's funny, I saw a Buffalo writer say this last night, but they said Josh Allen was playing hero ball, but it wasn't because, you know, it wasn't sort of 2019 Josh Allen hero ball. It was Josh Allen had to play that way because he didn't have any help. Um, he was getting pressured all the time. Uh, Josh Allen, I think, had uh, the most pressures in his career. Josh Allen, the Jaguars player, had the most pressures in his career yesterday. Um, this was ugly. And it, it, it's, it's, it's amazing to me how a team could have gone from maybe my favorite to make the Super Bowl to, oh, my gosh, I'm really worried about them in three hours. But Urban Meyer can do that. <laughs> leave, it, leave it to Urban Meyer to, to, to ruin our weekend. Uh, let's talk about the Rams. Uh, you had a great 
line on Twitter. The Rams are going to trade all their first round picks in the 2030s for Jeffrey Simmons next year. Uh, nailed it. Uh, but also, speaking of a team that you you saw them be taken out of what's natural for them, and it just didn't work. They rely so much on drag, drop back passes for Stafford, but the Titans yeah. D-line made him so uncomfortable that he couldn't get anything going in the pocket. So I don't, I don't know if this told us much about the Titans offense, you know, they barely had 200 yards. They didn't have yeah. to do much. It didn't really tell us post Derrick Henry if anything's fixed. Their D was just so dominant. What did it tell us about the Rams? Uh, the Rams got to take their own medicine, which is Jeffrey Simmons from the defensive tackle position had nine pressures. Uh, Autry had four. And they learned what it's like to get a game wrecked in the same way Aaron Donald wrecks a game every Sunday <laughs> right. for the other team. Um, so, I, you know, listen, this was concerning to me. Uh, anytime the, the Rams had such a small margin for error. Because, as we discussed, as I joked about, uh, they trade the first-round picks away. They trade their second- and third-round picks away for, for Von Miller, who was obviously out last year. Um, but their roster is so top-heavy. And I watch them maybe closer than most contenders in this league, Sarah, because I'm saying, okay, well, where are the holes, okay? They've got blue-chip talent at cornerback and quarterback and wide receiver, and where are the holes? And if it becomes a problem and there are game-wrecking defensive tackles we can get through that line and Stafford has no time to throw, we saw what the limits of that was last night. And so that, to me, is why, from a team-building perspective, I always watch the Rams pretty closely because I say, okay, in order to build a team like that, you have to rob Peter to pay Paul, right? That's yep. just how the salary cap works. That's how draft works. That's how draft allocation works. And I, so I, I look pretty closely at those things. And that's why last night I was saying, man, if, if the Titans defense, which is okay and has been getting better every single week and they're physical and they're tough, um, if they can ruin a game like that, what happens in January? And that, that to me is why I was scratching my head a little bit last night watching that game. I agree because we know that this is a team that's going to have a smaller window because you can't depend right. on the draft to re, you know, fill spots that you lose. And so they're all in right now. And some definite weaknesses exposed. Kevin Clark of The Ringer, senior writer, also host of The Ringer NFL show with me here on Spain and Fitz. Let's talk Shanahan. If you had told me at the beginning of the season that the Niners would be this bad and that he would have a losing record as the head coach and that he just couldn't figure things out, I would have asked what went wrong because I was just saying everybody from, you know, your neighbor to the best NFL expert you know is all in on Shanahan. What are we even watching right now? Wow. Um, so first of all, it was interesting because I, I think the Chiefs and the 49ers have the same problem right now. It's they focused on an issue all offseason. They spent six months. They spent draft picks. Uh, they spent free agent money, all this stuff, right, on, on one problem. And with the Chiefs, that was O-line. And with 49ers, that was quarterback. And then we get to September, October, November, we found out, well, actually, they had a bunch of other problems. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you just zero in on the 49ers, I think that the fact that they spent so much time trying to hone in that third pick, uh, obviously mortgaging their future for it. Trey Lance is not ready to play, and, and now he's been banged up the past couple of weeks. I think that, first and foremost, is the biggest problem, is that they didn't address the problems that needed to be addressed and were addressing a problem that actually, quite frankly, could have been addressed later or with less, less resources. Okay. Now, as far as Shanahan goes, it's amazing, because one of the things, Sarah, is you can't say he's not a good coach because he's made so many players better. He's called so many good plays. Right. Uh, he should have won a Super Bowl as an offensive coordinator. But he right now is not winning games with the franchise he's had full control over since 2017. And that, to me, is the concern. And if his destiny is to, okay, he's going to make every player better, he's going to make quarterbacks better than they should be, um, he's going to take C.J. Beathard or, or, or some of these guys and, and make them play-action masters, fine. But you have to win games. And right now, the Arizona Cardinals, who everybody was laughing about the Cliff Kingsbury hire two years ago, uh, look like a better coach team. And if right. you were to tell me, 
and I had never seen football before. He brought an alien down from outer space and said, watch this game. <laughs> who's, the, who's the offensive master here? Who's the head coach we all consider one of the greatest of all time? We'd say it was Cliff Kingsbury because he was the guy winning with Colt McCoy yesterday. He was the one winning with James Conner without DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, that was – you for, for me, Kyle Shanahan wins when everything is perfect. And to me, that's not the mark of a great coach, Sarah. Like, think about how many games Belichick has won when he shouldn't – when everything right. wasn't perfect and when he, he shouldn't have gone out and won a game. Um, if you have to have everything perfect to win, you are not an elite head coach, and that is why I'm kind of reconsidering everything I've ever thought about Kyle Shanahan. Kevin Clark of The Ringer is with me here. We have about a minute left. I'm going to try to get two in. You talk about an alien landing (laughs) on Earth. No biases based on team or person. Was Mac Jones in the wrong? Okay, so I haven't haven't watched every angle from I saw the one today, and I saw the TV copy. It was a little excessive. It was, a, it was excessive. And I don't think that it's suspension worthy. I think that I, I know what was happening there with he, he grabbed and then there was just excessive twisting. I would say, right. I understand the first part of that. Um, I think it, there's a line there. It's a habitual line stepper as, as they like to say. Um, but I think there's a line he crossed it, but I, I don't think it's, it's going to be, it should be some huge scandal. Yeah. It felt like his hand alone couldn't have twisted. It was a combination of that and the defensive player trying to twist out of the grasp and it worked together to create the problem. Still not Sarah, great, if, but if, maybe if it not was hockey, bad. if it was right. hockey, they could have a little skirmish over it. That, yeah. that's, that's it. I don't think it should be anything beyond that. I don't think Mac Jones wants that smoke. Okay. Last question for you. 30 <laughs> seconds or less. Again, you're an alien. You just landed. You don't know anything. You watch that Packers chiefs game. If you saw someone play like Patrick Mahomes did in that game, you wouldn't think he was the next coming. So, so is Jordan love to be held to any standard for what we can expect from him in the future? I mean, here's the thing with Jordan love, Sarah, is that there were months of this off season where everybody thought that he was going to be the starter. So Matt LaFleur and Nathan Hackett, the OC, had time to get a game plan right. in there and get Jordan Love ready because this, this, this could have looked, uh, this could have been September for them, right? And so if this is all they've got right now, which is not trusting Jordan Love to make plays, uh, which is the short stuff, and, and really just keeping him uh, at bay and not, not letting him do anything extraordinary, that to me is really, really disappointing because it's not like he Absolutely. was signed up the street. He wasn't Blake Bortles coming off the golf course. Um, That's at, right. At, at, you know, like, like Blake was last week. So many so questions me, it then. Dis- yeah. It, it was disappointing. It was disappointing to me. Disappointing. They've got time, but still. Kevin, thanks for the straight talk. Straight talk wireless, no contract, no compromise. I think I know a little bit more than I did before, but we still don't know much. Coming up, it's the Monday Night Spotlight in Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. The rest of Monday night is given over to those gargantuan goliaths of the gridiron. Setting the scene for another Monday night football showdown. That bouncing behemoth ballet known better as professional football. Here's the Monday night spotlight on Spain and Fitz. That's right. The Monday night football preview brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Let's start with Jeff Dickerson. On the Bears here on the Goodyear Hotline, J.D., the stats are not good anyway. You slice it. Big Ben's record against rookies. Big Ben's record on Monday night. The Steelers' record on Monday. But does all of that matter when you look at this current iteration of Ben and the Steelers? Well, how about this one? How about this one, Sarah? I don't think the Steelers have beaten the Bears since 2005. Ooh, now, they don't play very I'll take often. It. They don't I'll play take very it. often. Hey, whatever. Okay. <laughs> But, but there have been a couple of uh, Chicago Bear victories over that time span, in that, in that time frame right there. So, yes, the numbers don't look good. 
Sarah, let's face it, the Bears just don't look very good. Uh, mm. They haven't looked very good during this three-game losing streak. I thought that loss to San Francisco was really demoralizing for them since the Niners had dropped four in a row coming into that game. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. David Montgomery comes back tonight. That's a good sign for the Bears, but no Khalil Mack, no Eddie Jackson. Uh, that's not good news for a defense looking to bounce back after last week's lousy effort. You know, last week, I think the, the it felt like a vibe shifted in Chicago from the now to the future. It's not that there was an expectation that this team would win anything, but I think people were still in it to see what good wins they could get because there had been a few. Now it feels like, let's just see what we have with Justin Fields. That feels like the local vibe to me. So what are you watching for tonight, if not to see whether this team can do anything in the season, but more so with Fields or, or the coaches or, or anybody else out there? I think, Sarah, first and foremost, look, this team was built on the calling card of their defense. And when I said that was a lousy performance last week against San Francisco, I'm being kind, and you know that. Right, I mean, right. that was horrendous in the second half. Now, if they have any pride, and I think they do, uh, they need to really recover tonight and put forth a much more respectable effort. So that's number one for me. And then, of course, Justin Fields. I mean, you got to watch his progress. Look, he ran for over 100 yards last week. He had that dazzling 22-yard touchdown run. But, Sarah, everyone knows that Justin Fields can run. It's can he be a really proficient passer in this league. Now, that's not all on him. That's on the scheme. That's on the receivers, the tight ends, and everything, the offensive line. But he's not putting up those type of numbers yet. Can he have a couple of games where he throws for 300, 350 yards? That's what I think people really want to see. And, we'll, you know, again, tonight, is it going to happen tonight? My guess is with Montgomery coming back, he'll have Khalil Herbert. He's done an exceptional job in Montgomery's absence. I'll say the answer is probably no, but you can't win games if your quarterback is going for, you know, 125, 130 yards every single week. And I think the Bears know that, and that's the next real step that they really want Justin Fields to be able to take if he can. Jeff Dickerson with me here on the Bears. Two last quick ones for you. Number one, am I wrong in thinking that it's not his accuracy so much as his ability to read defenses and get rid of the ball quickly that's the problem right now? So there's some hope around him throwing the ball and putting it where he wants it to go once he learns the offense and how to, how to read the defense. Yes, I believe you're okay. right. I think he's, he's still trying to figure things out. I think he throws a really good football. I really do, Sarah. But, yeah, he's trying to figure things out, still, no doubt. And last one for you, just quickly, and I'm curious as an NFC North guy who's been in, in the, the locker rooms and, and the media availabilities against the Packers, are you and the other press talking about Aaron Rodgers' decision to mislead the press about his vaccination status? And, you know, I would imagine there's people there that are have health issues or that have health health issues with family members at home. Is that a conversation point for the media? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's so obvious that he was deceiving everyone when he said what he said. And, you know, Sarah, we've always been under the, the impression that when a player is not wearing his mask at the podium, that means that he is vaccinated. Mm. Now, somewhere along the lines, that got skewed because he wasn't wearing his mask when he was at the podium. Um, that's always supposed to have been the telltale sign. If a guy's wearing his mask at the podium when he's talking to the press, that means that he is unvaccinated. No mask means vaccinated. And somewhere along the way, that got lost in translation. So, yeah, that's, a, that's a no doubt about it. It's a huge talking point for those of us in the media, because like everyone else, we're very concerned about it. Yeah, that's what I figured, especially with the with the Packers putting the rest of those guys on Zoom. J.D., enjoyed the game tonight, whatever parts of it you can find joy in. Well, I always find joy. Look, I'm in Pittsburgh. <laughs> I'm in cigarette and flannel shirt country. There I'm going to have a good time no matter Get what. Get a permantis afterwards, win or lose. <laughs> Thanks, J.D. <laughs> uh, Spain and Fitz, solo Spain for the first hour here. Up. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's bring in Brooke Pryor on the Steelers. 
Brooke, I, I was just asking J.D. this, and I wonder the same with you. When you look at all these statistics about the Steelers and how they fare on Monday Night Football and Ben, you know, his past against rookies, can we really use any of that, or does everything become sort of viewed through its own specific vacuum when it's this season and this version of Ben? You know, I think it's a little bit of both because I think you could say the same thing for the Steelers as a whole. I mean, they start out one and three, and you think, oh, my God, is this the year that Mike Tomlin's going to coach a losing team? And then he pulls his team to where they are now. And I think you can kind of say the same thing for Ben Roethlisberger. Like, oh, he has all these great stats, but uh, I don't know if he's, he's the same Ben that he has been in the past. But he, like Mike Tomlin, have really learned to adapt this season. And I think that there is something to the fact that Mike Tomlin is 24-4 and against rookie quarterbacks. Um, that does not guarantee a win by any means. But I just think that this track record, this organization, this team – Yes, the season is an anomaly in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways it's still the same Steelers organization that figures out a way to grit out wins and adapt as they need to, and I think their record reflects that at the midway point. Steelers offense, 28th overall, 28th in rushing, 16th in passing, 26th in scoring. What are you seeing from this offense that needs to improve to get those numbers up? You know, I think that they are in the process of improving those numbers, specifically looking at the run game. I mean, Najee Harris, since that Green Bay loss, you kind of started to see the offensive line gel. Najee Harris tried to figure out how to hit some of the holes. And in the last three weeks, I mean, he had his first 100-yard rushing game, and I think he had 80 yards and 90 yards. But he's starting to string together some really good games, and that's where, yes, the Steelers are not very good as an offense right now overall, but they've figured out, hey, if we get Najee Harris and we get this run game going, then Ben Roethlisberger doesn't have to throw the ball 40 or 50 times a game and it's okay if they don't have these outrageous passing numbers they just have to get it done it's going to be a lot of winning ugly and a lot of very balanced football for this team to keep winning and keep kind of building on the the recent success that they've had but to me the biggest area that they just have to continue to build on is running the ball Najee Harris is the future of this organization and I think the future of this season if they're going to continue to make a push to be relevant and not just AFC North but in the AFC as a whole Brooke Pryor with me here. Brooke, where are you right now? I am in the tunnel. I almost ran into the entire Bears starting offense trying to yeah. get up here and find a quiet area, and I've got Steelers fans behind me. So it's I, I'm actually hearing, I'm hearing Bears fans. I heard a Let's Go Bears chant. I know we travel well. I think you might have uh, heard some of the Bears fans re- uh, reacting to the Bears offense running out. Is that possible? I, sorry, what was that? I was, I was getting told that I couldn't be where I was. Okay, of course. Well, since I asked you, since, since I asked you where you were, of course, it drew attention to where you are. Um, <laughs> let, let's talk about the Steelers' defense. They do not yet have a multiple turnover game this season, but obviously the defense has been what's kept them in some of these games that they've managed to eke out. Who's standing out for you, and who needs to improve on the defensive side to make them a more winning team? You know, T.J. Watt is one of those guys that he's going to stand out, even though he's going through kind of an an interesting season, just given the fact that he doesn't have the Bud Dupree on the other side. Alex Highsmith is having to develop quickly, and teams are able to really key in more on T.J. Watt. And he's like, look, I have to get out of my own head here. I still think that he is standing out, and he has to with the amount of money that he was paid in the offseason or right before the season, really, that he has to produce, and he's doing that. But like you said, they haven't had – very many turnovers, and I think that kind of all eyes fall on Minka Fitzpatrick. 
it's not that he's playing badly, but he's had, I think he's had three balls that should have been interceptions. So he really has to pick up the pace there. And those balls that weren't coming to him initially or that he wasn't coming down with, he's got to find a way to hold on to them and start making a difference for this defense to force some of those turnovers. Because like we said, the offense can't win this on their own. They're going to need help from the defense. And that's one way that they can do it. Last one for you, and it's Brooke Pryor with me on the Steelers ahead of Monday Night Football against my Bears. They're having fun with Mike Tomlin. As many years as he's been there, they're still finding new ways to kind of rib him. He really adamantly told everyone that he does not want the USC coaching job, and that resulted in members of his team wearing USC garb to practice, trying to get them to play the fight song on the, on the speakers during practice. Is that still going on, or did we kind of move past that? Are, are we past that phase here now? I think we have moved past that phase, but that was a lot of fun. And, you know, I was standing about five feet, six feet uh, per, you know, NFL guidelines, but standing very close to Ben Roethlisberger that morning when he was wearing the USC gloves. And I just kept looking at his hands and I was like, man, I know, it's cold out here, but it's not cold enough to need gloves. Those are not Steelers colors. I think something's up here. And sure enough, you know, I think it was Cam Hayward confirmed it. Ben, I think, talked about it, too, that the team was having – a good time with him but you know I think that that just speaks to Mike Tomlin the players coach Joe Hayden said he watched the clip from the press conference and wanted to run through a wall so he's got guys running through walls guys pranking him I mean Mike Tomlin is very beloved in the locker room here awesome stuff Brooke enjoy tonight but I hope the team takes a big L <laughs> thanks Sarah Brooke Pryor, Jeff Dickerson with me here, setting you up for Monday Night Football on ESPN, of course. Both of them brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Coming up, if you thought your weekend was bad, could have been worse. I'll tell you why. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Fitz going to be with me here in about 15 minutes after he finishes his digital Monday Night Football show here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. You got solo Spain for another 15. Don't forget you can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation. Hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed with your thoughts on anything throughout the show, at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz. I'm sure we'll get some thoughts on this Monday Night Football game once it gets going. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. We like to do a little something around here on Mondays, especially uh, Daylight Savings Mondays when everyone's a little down. It's pitch black at 5 p.m. And that's make ourselves feel better by reveling in the satisfaction of others failing, having a bad time, embarrassing themselves, injuring themselves, you know. The good kind of schadenfreude that is probably frowned down upon if there is anyone looking down from above. But we're going to do it anyway. It's something we call could have been worse. You thought you had a bad weekend. Phil, there is a tiger in the bathroom. You ain't seen nothing yet. I better get out of here while the getting's good. It could have been worse on Spain and Fitz. Yeah, we'll start with Jordan Love's family. Not Jordan Love, because even though he didn't have a great outing, eh, not much was expected of him. Sort of low-pressure situation. Plenty of time to work on some stuff before next season when presumably he will take the reins. Unless, of course, they saw not enough this week and they need need to rethink that plan. But more importantly, Jordan Love's family. Uh, They were on site in Kansas City for his first big game, his start. And Mama Love... And the rest of the Jordan Love family, his girlfriend, everybody else, were in the very last row of the stadium. 
According to Aaron Andrews, these are the away team's appointed seats. So everyone was blaming the Chiefs. That the Chiefs brass decided, you know what we'll do? We'll put Jordan Love's family in the very last row of the nosebleeds. But we also heard it's potentially the Packers' fault that they're supposed to be the one helping arrange for those seats on the road. And as someone cleverly pointed out, they're just not used to any family requests for the starting quarterback. Zing! Either way, if he starts in Seattle, I guess at Lambeau against Seattle, and they end up in the back row again, something's going on. Aaron Rodgers is taking the reins as the secretary or something. Something's going on if they're in the back row again. But yeah, not not a great time for Jordan Love's family. Still better than Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson, who injured his knee dancing at the team hotel the night before his team's 40 to 17 loss at South Carolina. He was cleared to practice after a concussion against Georgia uh, right before Halloween, but then injured his knee dancing at the team hotel. And he dressed in case of emergency, but was unable to play putting Emory Jones into action. I have to assume a TikTok dance. I'm not going to blame TikTok. I'm not going to make any assumptions. I did just say, I have to assume. So I'm going to make some assumptions that usually the kind of dancing you might be doing at the team hotel I'd like to imagine it's a TikTok related and not, you know, party in your hotel room related. That's an even worse way. Either way, not being able to play because you injured yourself right before the game dancing in your hotel. Not a good weekend. Well, it could have been worse. I would say potentially worse than that. Gus Malzahn. Gus Malzahn, who managed to injure himself. Celebrating a win which, again, would seem like an extremely strange thing if not for the fact that another coach had an even weirder injury. Again, potentially TikTok-related because Arkansas head coach Sam Pittman had a bowling ball-related celebration this week and almost didn't participate, didn't bring the ball, didn't pick up the ball, didn't involve a ball because he was worried he might aggravate an injury that he had never released to the press before But several years ago, he injured himself picking up his dog, Lucy, (laughs) thank you, to make one of his patented yes sir videos. And he tore his bicep. (laughs) He was filming one of his signature videos, went to lift up his bulldog, Lucy, boop, tore his bicep. Uh, Lucy is a very big dog. Uh, No body shaming at all. Just, you know, giving you a little context here. It's a little more understandable. Uh, when you think Bulldog, you think small. No, Lucy's uh, Lucy's up there. And uh, yeah, so he was worried about the flare-up of that injury and lifting the bowling ball during their bowl celebration because of his previous Bulldog-related injury. Can't make these stories up, people. These are all people who probably had a worse weekend than you did. I would also say with absolute certainty that former first-round draft pick for the Raiders cornerback Damon Arnett had a worse weekend than you did. Uh, First, most notably, a social media video was leaked that showed him allegedly holding a gun and making death threats against an unarmed man. This uh, arrived around November 5th, and they decided to release him. And as the conversation around him began, in light of this, it was also revealed that he managed to have a wreck in four different rental cars in one month. I don't know why 
he kept being allowed to rent those cars. I don't know if the insurance went up every single time. But those should have been red flags or some sort of warning for the Raiders. And obviously they weren't enough because now this latest video has cost him his job. Second first round pick to be released from the Raiders from that same 2020 draft. Of course, Henry Ruggs III cut last week. I I think we'll talk to Fitz about this because obviously there's some stuff going down. A lot of people are going to want to blame it on Vegas. I don't know if it's as simple as that. But Arnett has had multiple incidents. He's facing a pair of civil lawsuits in Vegas for fleeing the scene of a hit-and-run accident in which he hit a, a car that had a female occupant in it as he was trying to make a meeting and he was running late. Uh, he's also being sued by a valet worker at a Vegas casino for spitting on the employee and poking him in the chest, allegedly. So, yeah, not a great weekend for him either. And finally, the last one. Not as terrible as any of the injured or arrested, but Carly Lloyd playing in her very last soccer game ever. She played her last game for the U.S. Women's National Team in October. It was a friendly against South Korea, but she had a chance to extend her storied career just a little bit longer if her Gotham FC team could win the quarterfinals of the NWSL playoffs and face Portland in the semis. But no, it was the Chicago Red Stars. Yeah, 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 I'm a co-owner of the team. Chicago Red Stars, who beat Carly Lloyd and Gotham yesterday, 1-0 in the playoffs. They will go on to face Portland, and then one win there, and they're in the final. So hats off to Carly Lloyd on an incredible career, two-time World Cup winner, one of the greatest of all time. And thankfully, for all the fans that came out to see her and potentially wish her goodbye, she signed autographs, she took pictures, she stuck around for a long time after the loss, and despite all the emotions she was feeling in her very last soccer game ever, she still stuck around. Super class act there. So I won't say she had a bad weekend so much as the Red Stars just had a better one. Coming up, Fitz is going to join me for the rest of the show. We're going to start it off with some good take, hot take. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Monday. Monday night football tonight. My Chicago Bears taking on the Steelers. Not a lot of enthusiasm Not a lot of confidence from Bears fans of late. We're mostly just focused on what do we have in Justin Fields. But tonight we'll get another look and so will the nation. Unfortunately, I have borne witness many times to the Bears embarrassing themselves on national television. So let's hope that this is not one of those times against this Steelers team. That's just meh, not great. It's Spain and Fitz. Solo Spain so far. Fitz going to join me in just a minute here. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And don't forget, you can tune in to the That's What She Said podcast, hosted by yours truly and fueled by Gatorade. We appreciate their continued support of women's sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade's proven formula is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Sarah McLaughlin episode still up tomorrow. Ari Chambers, known on Twitter as Ari Ivory, the queen of WNBA Twitter. So check that one out. Uh, we're going to do a little good take, hot take. This is where we take some of the bloviating gas bags from around the sports reporting world on Mondays and we see what they're reacting to in the football world and decide whether what they said was hot or good. We're going to start with Ryan Clark, ESPN NFL analyst. He was on Greeny with Mike Greenberg talking about whether the analytics are wrong in pushing teams. Oh, I guess we should do the open. You're right, Stash. Let's do that first. Time to cut through the BS and rate the best takes of the day. 
Are they good takes? He would be the best quarterback in the history of New York to land here. Or hot takes? Hot takes. Give the damn ball and let him decide. But that's not the Green Bay way. Find out now on Spain and Fitz. I'm just rushing through the open. There's so many good and or hot takes to get to tonight that I'm I'm rushing our way through it. But we're going to start with Ryan Clark on Greeny talking about teams going for it on fourth down. Folks just ain't punting anymore. Right. And you start looking at how often we now or people in the league now go for it on fourth down. It's, it's analytics. It's, right. It's become the, 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 the analytics very uh, – it's the in thing right now, right? Oh, it's yeah. the cliche thing right now. Get but a lot of these teams too. are putting their defenses in extremely difficult situations by feeling like you have to go for it every time. Or if it's fourth and one and the punt might not be the great net yard punt. No. Sometimes punting the ball is the right decision because you give your defense a time to flip the field. All right, Fitz is here. What's up, Fitz? Happy Monday. Happy Monday. I'm going to dive right into good take, hot take. Do you think it's a good take that teams, when they follow the analytics and go for it on first down, are actually putting their team in a bad spot? Yeah, I think it is a good take. Uh, I think what's happened is we become so reactionary. I'll use the Raiders game as an example. Yesterday, late in the game, they went for a field goal that, uh, uh, crazy enough, they missed, but it was within the inside inside the 10-yard line. Would have made it a one-point game, and Rich Passaccia had to answer questions today about why they went for the field goal because the analytics didn't support that. Like, we become so driven by that, that piece of data. I don't know. Sometimes you just got to have a feel for the game, and you also have to have a little bit of common sense outside of just the numbers. It's no different than we used to have a, a computer committee decide the college football playoff. Then we wanted human beings. Like, at some point, you got to have a little human uh, – understanding of what's happening on the field i'm gonna go out on a limb and i'm gonna attempt to see if they'll give me a hot take oh. <laughs> there we go wow. I mean, on the one hand i don't want to disagree with ryan clark a former defensive player when he says that he's watching the games and defenses are being put in a bad spot on the other hand i don't think anyone's saying go against logic and the context of the game and go for it just because of the analytics even if your defense is tired or it looks like you're putting too much pressure on them. I think there's that healthy balance and it's too much of a sweeping generalization for me to say the teams are going for it too much. I think it's reactionary probably after a weekend where it didn't work out as well as, as it could have. I'm still on board for following the analytics unless you're in an extreme situation where a defense has been overextended. All right, moving on. Jay Williams talking about the Cowboys' ugly loss to the Broncos that actually had a nicer final score than the game went. Let's see what he had to say. If you look at their last couple of games, I mean, I think they what, surrendered like 28 points to Carolina, 29 points to New England. So that defense is still a work in progress, right? I mean, the defense has gotten better than what it was last year because it was historically bad last year. But I guess the loss was shocking to me, but it's still one of those things that with the Cowboys, you're like, all right, I, I still feel like I know who the Cowboys are. It's, I don't think that's who – I don't think they're that bad as what they showed yesterday. Okay, so are they as bad as they showed yesterday? Is that defense still sort of in the making? What did you make of what Jay said? Good take, hot take. So I think that's actually a good take. And almost every team in the NFL this year seems to have a regrettable loss that makes no sense. Like if if we were, again, using – if we were a college football playoff committee trying to decide on which of these teams belongs, I'd have no idea. Because how do you explain the fact that the Jets have wins over the Bengals and the Titans and now we have the Jags with the win over the Bills and the Broncos? Like it's just – it was a WTF, what the football sort of weekend. That's why, like, (laughs) I can't put – my head around it. I do think there there were big takeaways from the Cowboys, but not on the defensive side of the ball. 
I'm going to say good take because I, for the most part, agree about it not saying everything we need about the Cowboys that they suffered this loss. I will say that I do have some questions about the defense that we were describing as a revelation early on. And then we mentioned at the halfway point as one of the biggest positive surprises of the season was a defense that we knew that they had invested heavily in, but we weren't sure if it would actually be able to make a significant enough change after giving up a franchise high number of points last season. I still have questions about those Cowboys, that Cowboys defense. I'm not out because of this week, but it did matter to me. It wasn't just a trap game or, you know, a throwaway loss. It's Spain and Fitz. We're doing a little good take, hot take. Guests join us on the Goodyear hotline. We always love Dan Orlovsky, and we can never get him as a guest, so we just make sure that he's the star of good take, hot take pretty much every week, and he's back. He's back with a couple. Here he is on KJNM talking about Jordan Love being better than what many saw. I would feel pretty encouraged if I was the Green Bay Packers uh, by Jordan Love yesterday. So the, the roughest part of the game for him was really the first two series. It had been a thousand days or something since he had played football in a competitive environment that actually mattered. And it's at Arrowhead. I don't know. We've, you've been to Arrowhead. Oh, I mean, I've it's a Arrowhead. brutal yeah. place to go yeah. play. So the first couple series are a little bit of a wash to me. I actually thought that he played really good football Matt LaFleur had, I think, had one goal. Get the game to the fourth quarter, okay? Don't lose the game, young kid. Get the game to the fourth quarter, see if we can make some plays. Green Bay loses that game not because of the play of Jordan Love. Green Bay loses that game because of missed opportunities. Two field goals that don't go in, one blocked, one missed, the muffed punt. Mm. So I feel relatively good if I'm Green Bay, specifically how the young man played on the road in the fourth quarter. All right, good take or hot take. I want some of whatever Orlovsky was partaking in yesterday. That's a hot take to me. I mean, I, that's a, a heck of an attempt to make some excuses for why he didn't look. And and even the Arrowhead portion of it, like the Chiefs are two and two this year at home. Like, mm-hmm. and, and this is a Chiefs defense that isn't good. So I I mean, context has to matter to that. Like I I I struggle to see what Dan saw there. Yeah, I mean. He he mentioned the slow start. I think that was except that was you know not a surprise. But then he kind of conveniently forgot that his interception in the fourth was part of the reason that they didn't come back. Missed opportunities come when you give the ball away to the other team. He was driving down the field, figuring it out a little bit, you know, flirting with a score, and then throws an interception. He did throw a touchdown after that to tighten it up a little, but. I don't think you can just ignore that, ignore the issues he had with ball placement throughout the game. He wasn't leading receivers. He wasn't extending plays after the catch by putting him in a position to catch and have some space. Um, You know, it's a rookie. It's a rookie quarterback. But worth noting, we talked to Kevin Clark earlier in the show, and he said at one point for a long stretch there, they really thought he might be their starter in September. So this is a guy that after sitting for a whole season, presumably learning, and potentially entering the season thinking he was going to play, they probably should have had a little bit more ready. We've got more Good Take Hot Take. We're going to give it to you a little bit later in the show. It's brought to you by Goodyear with you for every mile on the road to greatness. Goodyear, more driven. But coming up, we're going to do some NFL quickies on Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Monday Night Football set to start soon. We'll keep you abreast of the latest on the Bears-Steelers. But it's Spain and Fitz here on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We're brought to you by My Computer Career Training for a Better Life. We're going to get into a little bit of quickies. So much on the docket today that sometimes we got to do it the only way we know how, and that's quickly. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. 
We get in and out of topics fast. We've been talking NFL pretty much all night, but a big story in the NBA as the drama around the Sixers continues, this time a new twist in that Joel Embiid positive with COVID-19, so he's out for the team. Simultaneously, Ben Simmons, who boy could they use with players, multiple players missing because of COVID and COVID protocols, uh, is still not out there. But he has changed course and is set to meet with team-recommended mental health clinicians. Uh, this is something he has been fined for, series of fines, including 360000 for missing the game with Detroit on Thursday, failing to meet with team doctors, failing to provide relevant information on his meetings with mental health specialists provided by, by the uh, NBPA. So, Fitz, are you buying that Simmons is doing this for the right reasons or merely to stop the bleeding when it comes to those fines? It feels like it's to stop the bleeding, but also, you know, that's got to be part of the conversation from the team standpoint of it. We keep talking about mental health and how seriously it needs to be taken, and, and athletes will talk about how it want, they want it to be treated the same as a normal injury, which I think is super important. Well, anytime you have a normal injury, the team is going to require that you see their medical phys- uh, their medical experts. You may be able to see your own, but you're still going to have to see theirs. And I don't un- I don't understand why Ben Simmons would think that the mental health would be treated any differently. Whatever he wants to do to seek his own treatment, he's still going to have to get some help from their team appointed physicians to make it make sense for the team. Yeah, and this just not what this team needs. Again, with Joel Embiid out for tonight's game against the Knicks, he has to sit for at least ten days because of health and safety protocols. So able to come back next week and they're in the middle of the six game road trip, mostly on the West coast, but he's the fourth in the health and safety protocols. And again, this would be a great time for Ben Simmons to be available to help hold them up during this. But man, what a mess for Philadelphia. And it's too bad because that was a really good team last year in the regular season with a lot of promise. And, and now just tough to say, uh, you know, what it's going to look like going forward with this this stretch with Embiid out. All right, let's move on to Mac Jones. Quickies. Uh, very curious for you. Uh, we I asked Kevin Clark about this. We seem to kind of agree on whether or not he was trying to cause injury um, on the pulling uh, of a, of a, of a um, Panthers Brian Burns leg or whether it was just a guy trying to make a tackle to prevent him from getting the fumble. What did you make of that video? It looks bad, but I also try and think about the size context of it. Like, uh, the fact is, if you're Mac Jones and you're laying on the ground, you're just thinking, oh, dear God, don't let him run away with it, right? Like, I felt, as a little brother that's tried to beat up on a big brother that's much larger than I am, that was my first thought. But I also see where players are coming from uh, in the sense that trying to grab somebody's ankle and twist it around has become, you know, corkscrewing the leg has become uh, uh, something players are talking about constantly. I just have a hard time imagining Mac Jones uh, was doing that in this situation. Yeah, and to me, it's not to take any shots at Mac Jones' strength. Very strong guy, I'm sure. But it looked like it had to have been a combination of the way Burns was turning to try to escape the grasp in addition to potentially a slight twisting of the wrist that made it happen. I don't think he alone could have done that, especially from the angle he was lying at. So I actually kind of believe Mac Jones, and he said he got hit pretty hard, and he's like, my job is to make the tackle to make sure he doesn't you know, have the ball and run away with it. Didn't know that the ball had already been moved upfield a little bit. I understand if you're on the other side, absolutely. The way that you would view that video would be very different. Uh, so I'm sort of in the middle on it where I don't know that it was entirely about his twist. It was also about the way Burns tried to weasel his way out of that, uh, out of that grasp. It's quickies. Quickies. I just mentioned this. I really want your take on it because 
This 2020 draft for the Raiders has been a disaster now with Arnett cut. Obviously, Henry Ruggs III out. What did you make of Damon Arnett? He's been waived after the video surface, alleging him making death threats while brandishing firearms. He's had four different rental car crashes in the span of one month. He has two pending lawsuits. Uh, what do you even make of this? Well, number one, I think the team did a nice job of keeping a lot of that quiet because right? nobody seemed to really know. Uh, number two, I mean, we were working on Friday as the video started to to come out, and I saw it, and my initial thought was, they're going to let him go. He wasn't a very good player. But that what really stands out to me is that Mike Mayock, the GM of the Raiders, stood up today and said, hey, this one's on me. We did more vetting of him than we did of any other player. We know the Ohio State coaches. We talked to them. They agreed that we with us that it would be a good fit for him here. So to me, it felt like everybody knew there was a problem or the possibility of a problem. I don't understand why then, if you're the Raiders, you know you're in Vegas. I do think certain cities, Miami, New York, Vegas, you've got to look at things a little differently and ask yourself, can everybody handle this city? I'm I'm, I'm sure the Raiders learned from this, but I also will say this loudly, Sarah. I think it's a mistake to batch that in with the tragedy around Henry Ruggs. Like, we need to acknowledge two very different people, two very different instances that happen to come from the same draft class. I agree with you, but you don't have any concern then about the the Raiders' ability to to judge character. No, because uh, the yeah, I gotta say this carefully. Nothing about what Henry Ruggs did is excusable, but none of it was in character to who he seemed to have been while he was in Vegas. Even the surprise of the firearm. Yeah, the the firearm surprises me, but you're also talking about somebody that, for again, for everything wrong that he did, was at Top Golf and then at a friend's house, like. We've sort of painted it like Vegas, where there's, as pointed out today by Vic Tafer, who we've talked to from the Athletic, there's a top golf in every NFL city. He went right. to a top golf in a friend's house. I don't think that that's Vegas winning, but there is an element of when you've had two different people, you know, two different people in the same draft class, and you do have to look at a character at some point. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just it's tough for Vegas to get that rep, but it is easier to find trouble there than somewhere else. Uh, the question is whether it's actually having an impact on these young players or whether it's it's other things that are contributing to this. But to your point, nice job of covering it, I guess, in the sense that it didn't get out, but uh, probably an issue that there had been that many warning signs that I guess they, they still weren't keeping enough track of him uh, to prevent the latest. It's Spain and Fitz doing a little quickies. Let's move on. Russell Quickies. Wilson now cleared to come back to play. I don't have super high hopes for the Seahawks team. I think it's a little late to try to save the season, but good news an incredibly fast return for Wilson who had surgery on October 8th. I mean, and at some point we have to look at that and say what version of him we're going to get, right? Like right. I mean, I, I'm all in on getting Russ back sooner is obviously going to be a huge help for whatever they want to accomplish this season for, for the Seahawks. But you also do have to think short-term, long-term on all of this. And I, I just don't know, to your point, they're three and five. The division is out of the question. So there, there's nothing they're going to do there. The question is, can they battle their way into the playoffs? And maybe, I mean, that still seems like in a 17 playoff in the each side that that could be out there for them. But it would take a lot for the second half of the Seahawks and I'm not sure that even with Russ in, it puts them in that same category of where they want to be. So I'd rather make sure he's healthy long-term than just put him in to try and squeeze my way into a wild card this year. Absolutely. It's quickies. Quickies. Speaking of the Seahawks, who will be playing the Packers, we'll see who Russ is facing there. Will it be Jordan Love? Will it be Aaron Rodgers? Uh, Rob Domovsky talked about Jordan Love's first outing. We just saw Dan Orlovsky's going to say it was okay. Here's a little bit of what he had to say about Jordan Love. 
it's a great question about what he showed me because if this is all that they have to go on before they have to make a decision about whether he's ready to be their quarterback next year, I don't know if it is. I don't know what you do. Um, you know, you got to give him a little bit of a, a pass because it's his first time. Uh, he's playing a defense that blitzed like crazy, and Matt LaFleur told us after the game that he didn't have a very good plan for the blitz. So a little bit of that is him trying to take the heat off of his, you know, first-time starter. But Yeah, a little bit of that is trying to take the heat off. Fitz, do you think what they saw yesterday makes them more or less comfortable with the plan for him to start next year? Less, and I think in that this is the one time that I would say if I'm the Packers, I don't know that it's the worst to let him get one more game. Let's see what happens when he actually has some time to prepare. Absolutely. It's Spain and Fitz. We're going to talk about what the execs, scouts, and coaches are saying about the NFL at the halfway mark. It's coming up next on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Just saw a video of a uh, bear tearing down a fence and pursuing some pedestrians up and down some steps. Looks very ferocious, very deadly, very effective, very fast, good closing speed. I think I'm going to watch this bear tonight instead of whatever the heck. My Bears are going to do not a good start. Uh, it's it's Spain and Fitz. It's Sarah early. Spain, Jason Fitz. It is early. Uh, it's early. Uh, but, you know, the trash talking has begun out on Spain and Fitz Nation at War Jorts, which I presume are different than Peace Jorts. War Jorts uh, hit me up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed with just a simple, the Chicago Bears are going down, hashtag Steelers Nation. And I honestly have no retort for that. I think that is probably what is going to happen. I did pick the Steelers tonight. I just want it to not be too embarrassing. That's all I ask. I picked the Bears to win on the Monday Night Football show. Why, though? But why? why? Well, because I I think that Big Ben is a liability quarterback still. So, you know, I'm just going to trust that that is going (sighs) to play itself forward for you. All right. Well, we need our defense to show back up because they were nowhere to be found against the 49ers. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Insurance is proud to support veterans with their annual Key to Progress vehicle giveaway program, now celebrating nine years of donating vehicles, helping veterans in need. Learn more at keystoprogress.com. Okay, so last show, we assessed it as roughly the halfway point of the NFL season, and we revisited our preseason divisional picks, and there were some concerns in a few spots. Uh, The most concerning was that we had forgotten the wager that we had placed on those preseason picks. Yes, yes. One of us is going to face a very chilly fate. Here's uh, a little more on that. I think I just got the best recommendation for how we pay off the the, uh, season-long prediction bet, Polar Plunge. Lake Michigan for me, whenever the regular season ends, so January, and whatever body of water you're closest to that's going to be freezing. That's a that's a good one. Okay, it's going to be cold, very cold. I mean, that's a, I'm 45 minutes from that in Connecticut. Yes, all in for that. That is all a right. great idea. It's cold, 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 cold. Penguins, icebergs, polar bears! Freaking polar bears. Polar bears. All right, everyone, gird your loins. I really, I don't know what I was thinking. I thought it would be funny. I thought it would make the stakes high. But now I'm deeply concerned. I'm deeply, deeply concerned for that. I have never rooted for the Chiefs to win the division (laughs) until now. I mean, I need everything to go right at this point. I'm looking back at my picks and I'm like, I will start rooting for people I full on hate. Just because I need to avoid the polar plunge. Well, we talked about our own picks. We now have some picks from executives, coaches, scouts, you know, the experts, the ones that we presume know the most about these players and coaches. And they gave us our their halfway point 
predictions, and it is on ESPN.com. Jeremy Fowler, ESPN staff writer, collected them. So this is, by I, the way, that the annual reminder to that point, Sarah Fowler didn't make him; he collected him. So don't yell at him. Them. Don't yell at him. But also worth noting, the date on this is September seventh, which is yesterday, which I presume means that it hit before the games. So at least a couple of these, you're like, Meh. like maybe the very first one where Josh Allen is still your MVP leader. I'm oh. not saying that anyone has necessarily quite passed him yet. Lamar, jo- uh, Lamar, um, uh, 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 give me his Lamar last Jackson. Name. Jackson. I just wanted to call him Lamar Johnson. Who's that? I, well, I don't know, but he is sounds he like any a good? delightful person. Is he an MVP caliber player? This, yeah. No, okay, like well, this, yeah. just jot down Lamar Johnson. We'll see who's right at the end of the season. Um, that one I can get behind still, though. Even though I do think Lamar Jackson should be your front runner and not Josh Allen, I could see why Josh Allen is still in the mix. Creating buzz amongst the scouts, execs, etc. Patrick Mahomes. What? 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 I mean, and I don't understand. What? Like, I I just I get the whole Chiefs thing because I've been guilty of doing it all year. But at some point, don't we have to actually make the way they're playing on the field uh, count for something? And the Chiefs haven't looked. I, I mean, I know they won, but I didn't walk away from it impressed. So like, I don't I don't know why everybody's uh, suddenly coming back around on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I this is anyway. You know what I just realized, Fitz, and I'm going to admit this right on air here. Okay, I'm admit yes. this right on air. Yes. This is an old article. <laughs> Okay, I feel a little better because you did say <laughs> September 7th, and it is different than the article that I had up. And I'm like, this is okay. an old article. I and thought I, I had the, the – look, yep. Sarah, this speaks to your greatness. You know, you know what speaks to your greatness? I was confused, and I thought there's no way that that's the take that's happening now. Let me revisit and see if I pulled up the right thing. Here's the thing. I, I, I'm, I'm just going to speak to how good you are, Sarah. I have an article in front of me, NFL playoff races, execs on division winners, Super Bowl picks, wild card sleepers, oh, no. collected by Jerry. Jeremy Fowler, and yeah. you were talking about that, and I was like, well, I don't see the Josh Allen thing, so I immediately yeah. didn't think, oh, the article in front of me is right. I thought, yeah. well, I got this wrong. Sarah's obviously got the right article right, up, right, right, so right. you're right In enough. my defense, okay, in my defense, yes. if you go to the NFL page of ESPN.com, which is mm-hmm. where I grabbed this mm-hmm. the first time when I saw the real one, and you go to where it says, picking the winners, ESPN Plus, NFL Execs Pick Award winners. I figured, you know, this is the one I saw earlier. I click it, and it's the one from week one of the season. Why that's there, I'm not going to point any fingers. I, I think, don't think that's I think you've got the a story weird... that they meant to put there. I, I clicked on the same thing, and my first headline is Chiefs still very much in the AFC West picture. I think I think you got a broken link, Sarah. I've got the right article okay, but, here. But my headline is the NFL is taking this parody thing too far in 2021. Oh, okay. That is different. How are we still not on the same article? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. This, this is, is the greatest. This is the greatest segment, segment in done. the history of our show. But also, perhaps by the end of this, we will both be required to do a polar plunge because uh, neither of us will have earned the right not to. Well, the article I have in front of me says that the Chiefs are still very much in the AFC West. Right, 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 right. Oh, and so you skipped ahead. Biased. Yes, you are right, and you skipped ahead because there are several paragraphs of of um, preamble. Yes. Before that, but yeah. that is the first element. Of yes, of course, we're, I, went we're for, on this, I went for the first the big block page. words. I Look at the you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, quickly, let's pick up the pieces of our life. It's it's Jason Fitz, the Jason Fitz Show. No one else is associated with it on ESPN Radio. Perfect, yes. Let's yes. start with... Best okay. segment I've ever done. Interestingly, the Chiefs, still the topic of discussion off the top. Um, execs feel strongly that they are going to take the division for a sixth straight year. I mentioned earlier that this team 
if they do find their way into the playoffs, will be the one that no one wants to face because they're still Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, even if it feels like teams have figured out how to slow them down. Yeah, but they're not going to win the division. I think execs are wrong. I think everybody's still buying into the brand bias. They have the Raiders twice, the Cowboys, the Broncos, who are better than they get uh, credit for being. They still have the Chargers to play, the Bengals to to play. I mean, there's a lot ahead of the Chiefs. I think they just get benefit of the doubt because of the Chiefs, and I've been guilty of doing it. I'm just not doing it this year. I think the Chargers are clearly a better team than the Chiefs, and I'm not sure the Raiders aren't also. I agree with you, and when you line up those teams, you are reminded of something I said earlier in the show, which is what we saw this weekend didn't give me a lot of faith in what I know and what we know, and one of those things is that Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs did not look good. They just beat a bad Packers team with a starting quarterback that had never played before. I mean, that's it. It wasn't like a definitive win for them, so even though their record got better, it didn't tell me a whole lot about them getting better. Okay, the AFC East, not a runaway for the Bills. I think that's become very clear after what we saw yesterday. Now, I'm not totally out on Josh Allen and the Bills. They still have an almost 85% chance to win the division per the FPI, but I just don't think they're as much of world beaters as we thought before this went down yesterday because I do think their their offense is looking too one-dimensional, and if Josh Allen isn't great, they're probably not going to win. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you just said, and I think part of what happens here is we're all in on the Patriots. Well, the Patriots just beat an awful Panthers team at this point. They do have a win over the Chargers. Don't want to take anything away from that. But before that, their wins notably were, you know, over the Jets and a close win over the Texans. I mean, we're not talking about a team that's beat any actual good teams in this process. And the Patriots, again, they have some good teams left on their schedule. So I, I think the reason the Bills are going to win the division is because the Patriots are actually going to play better football teams. We are going to learn a lot from the upcoming games on the Patriots schedule because they've won four of five. They're just a half game out of the lead now in the AFC East. Could be a wild card team, could be a better team than we thought when they started off one and three. But again, to your point, we have to see how they fare against some good teams. They're kind of pulling that early Broncos stuff where you, you, you get the right schedule in front of you and you start to change some minds. Maybe not for all the right reasons. Um NFC West attrition battle heating up is the next headline. We've got the Cardinals winning without Kyler Murray. Um, you know, we've got an incredible offense there that's also buoyed by enough on the defensive side to be a really balanced team. But they lost six of their last nine at the end of last year, and people are wondering if they can stay strong. Meanwhile, the Rams that everybody thought were the sort of go-to team that you were going to expect to see all the way at the Super Bowl in their own home city suffered a brutal loss to a Titans defense that made them look silly yesterday. Absolutely took Matt Stafford out of his comfort zone. You like one more than the other. Yeah, I I think I like the, well, no, I know I like the Cardinals more. And if you look at the Rams this year, that's another team that is feasted at times on teams that aren't particularly good. And and they've won a bunch of games right now. But in between that, they lost to the Cardinals and they lost now to the Titans. And, you know, if you look at the numbers, they were in the top three in every major statistical category the last two years. Now they're in the middle of the pack across the way. So losing uh, Staley as their defensive coordinator to the Chargers has had more of an impact than I think any of us expected. The Rams just haven't played particularly well couple more that we will zoom through. Obviously, AFC North is still pretty wide open. I like the Ravens, but yeah. the Cincinnati Bengals are still always a question mark because they've had some really good games. Obviously, the Browns put together quite an outing to reinstill some faith there. NFC South, I've got the Buccaneers all the way. I do not think the Saints are going to catch them. I don't think the Saints are, frankly, a very good team. Then there's some other teams, like weird ones, like the Giants are somehow still sort of in the mix, which is weird. Um, Some people say the Colts could still be something if things are going right. But for me, 
whether it's injuries or otherwise, that team just can't put it together, which leads us to the final part of this story, which, by the way, can be found on ESPN+. Plus. Just look for the date in the corner that says 6.20 a.m. Central on this day instead of September 7th. Uh, it's also good to know what month and day it is when you do any sort of job, including radio hosting. But back to the final segment. Get your head Super together. Bowl winners. The most common picks among these experts, these scouts, these coaches, etc., were the Rams or Bucks beating the Bills. Do you have a problem with that? I mean, I thought the Titans would fall off without Derrick Henry, and they just did that to the Rams. At some point, mm-hmm. we're going to give them credit. I mean, they've, they've beaten the Bills. So I, I, I feel like the Titans have a better shot at the Super Bowl today than Buffalo does. The Titans are fourth. Cardinals at 21. Bucks and uh, Bills both around 17%, and then 10% for the Titans in that mix. Let's get into the Titans and what else we did or didn't learn from yesterday with another round of good take, hot take. Uh, By the way, neither of us feel better about the polar plunge now. We both feel worse about ourselves, and we are embarrassed, and we apologize for everything that just happened. What do we know? Not much, apparently. It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Well, uh, the whole let's just at least not super embarrass ourselves on national television thing, not going great for the Bears right now. Uh... At J Rosendo 219 hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation. I already switched to the Bulls on TV and the Bears to the iPad. Not great. Wow. You know, you didn't didn't turn them off altogether, but it's Monday Night Football. It's still the first quarter, and you're already like, ah, I'm going to go ahead and minimize that screen. Hey, first downs have been tough to come by, but you're only down by seven. It's early. I'm a beacon of light in a dark, dark world. I mean, listen, the Bears special of like a hastily called timeout into a penalty into a punt, mm. you know, it's That's all the details. Trifecta. We've <laughs> really got we've really got the details down pat. I believe they didn't line up fast. I mean, just all the things that you just can't have if you're not a great enough team in the first place. Anyway, it's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. I started the show, Fitz, by asking... What the hell do we know after yesterday, right? Which of those things were throwaway oopsie trap games and which of those things were real? So let's use good take, hot take to get us through a couple more things that have me scratching my head. Time to cut through the BS and rate the best takes of the day. Are they good takes? He would be the best quarterback in the history of New York to land here. Or hot takes. takes. Give the damn ball and let him decide. But that's not the Greenway way. Find out now on Spain and Fitz. I'm not even going to have the millionth conversation where we answer the question, are the Browns better without Odell? I'm not going to. It's been done too many times. But I will offer up this Baker Mayfield quote from their incredibly decisive victory where they managed not to let whatever went down with Odell this week be a distraction. and Instead, they came out and absolutely dominated. Here's what he said about overcoming that situation. Things I keep hitting on, I trust the guys in this locker room. In this locker room, I've said it over and over again, and I truly mean it. So, when adversity hits, nobody flinched. Uh, it was a long week. I'd be lying if I said otherwise. But proud of these guys, uh, and you know how they were able to focus and, and do their jobs. It's just we got a good group. We really do. Okay, Fitz. So, was this game an actual sign that they've moved past that distraction, that conversation? That there isn't a problem within this team. It was all just, let's get rid of Odell and now we're good? I think it's a good take that it was a sign they're going to be fine. I don't know that that means that everything was wrong with Odell. Like, I don't think Odell was the cause of everything. Like, I think that's 
taking it a step far, but it's a sign that they're going to be just fine without him. You know, I think at the end of the day, uh, like this doesn't make for a great hot take. I think we're going to find out that Odell Beckham Jr. is okay without the Browns and the Browns are okay without him. I like that take and I'm going to let you go ahead and roll with it because I think you nailed it. He good. Yeah, he good. Fits his. And so is that take. All right, moving on. Keyshawn Johnson this morning on Key, Jay, and Max talking about how both of the Browns with Baker Mayfield and the Titans with Ryan Tannehill can win the Super Bowl with those quarterbacks. When you have a quarterback like this and you have a minus a Derrick Henry, you got to get a quarterback a short field. You have to create havoc on the defensive side of the ball. In other words, you have to give him help. And when you give him help, you can be very successful at it because, as I've said since day one, you can win Super Bowls with a Ryan Tannehill, with a Baker Mayfield, but everything else has to go according to plan. And then that's the way you build your team. Everybody thinks that you have to have Patrick Mahomes. It makes it easier, but you don't have to have Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers to win a Super Bowl. But because if you, as long as you're pedestrian enough and don't turn the football over, you'll win the Super Bowl. Okay, so pedestrian, clearly not the word that he was looking for there, but let's talk to the larger statement, which is, you can win with a guy who just gets it done enough. I don't know if I would decide that Ryan and Baker are that quality. I think they're better than that. But what do you make of everything he had to say? I think that's actually a good take by Keyshawn. Like, we forget that – I know it's easy to be focused on Brady, Mahomes, and Manning. But realistically, Nick Foles won a quarterback uh, – won a Super Bowl MVP, too. Joe Flacco was a Super Bowl MVP. Eli, for whatever he was and whoever he was, was the Super Bowl MVP. Brad Johnson won a Super Bowl. Like, you can win with an okay quarterback as long as the rest of your team's playing really well. And I I genuinely believe the Titans and the Browns both have the roster. Like, the Browns aren't going to win or lose because of Baker. They're going to win or lose because of their ability to get their running game going and have their defense play well. Yeah, I think it's a good take. But I guess I just don't see those two guys as the example of that that maybe he does. I don't think of them as pedestrian. I don't think of them as the quality of player that you listed off just then. Especially, like, even though Baker's inconsistent, I think he can be explosive and exciting. I think Ryan Tannehill is wildly underrated because the style that they play to be great, and he's willing to play it. And he look at Patrick Mahomes this year struggling to be patient enough to work the ball up and down the field and get points. He can't do it. He's obsessed with the big play. And when they do two deep safeties on him, he does not know how to work his way through it. Patrick Mahomes has getting has gotten blitz fewer than fewer times than almost any quarterback, but the pressure has been the most. And the longer he holds onto the ball, the more mistakes he makes. He is not good at being a patient quarterback. And Ryan Tannehill is able to work the system to his benefit. So I just don't see them as quite that kind of quarterback that you win in spite of them. And that kind of is what it sounded like. I think you, I think that's a really good take by you, and you're absolutely right. And by the way, when you start talking about the that Mahomes process, they mentioned it in the Rams game last night that teams are starting to figure out how to defend yeah. these types of offenses. Same exact thing for everybody that's looking at the Cowboys. Vic Fangio said after the game, nobody's been defending him right. That that's exactly what they did with Dak, and Dak had no answer for it. Some of these great quarterbacks in the eyes of many people are going to have to figure out how to beat defensive coordinators that have figured out better ways to defend them. 100%. It's Spain and Fitz.
By the way, quick question for you. We don't have time to play the cut, but Tyler Fulgham said on game night, there are maybe just no elite teams in the NFL this year as we see them all have a stinker. You agree with that? No, that's a that's a terrible take because the Cardinals are elite. Like, what, what else do we need to see from the Cardinals? Like, they thump the Rams. They thump the Titans. They thump the Browns. All teams we think are good. I, I, the, the Cardinals have done everything they need to do to prove that they're an elite football team. Yeah, I disagree. I think there's always going to be elite teams. They have to be better than someone, right? Uh, <laughs> right. So I guess that's that's not necessarily – that shouldn't be the criteria for whether you're elite is being the best of the bunch. But I think there's plenty of time – we're just at the halfway point for some of these teams – to recover from the oopsie and to prove their dominance over the second stretch. So I'm not ready to say that just yet, although there are very few things I'm sure of after this weekend. I am sure that the Bears are embarrassing me. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.